Missouri is a place where due process goes to die for clients. Part of it becomes a frustration on the part of the individual to be able to address the accusations against them, which can lead in many instances to people um, taking a, an offer or a deal or a disposition that they otherwise would have fought because they are tired of being engaged in the system. It also keeps people involved in the criminal legal system much longer while they're considered innocent until proven guilty. I'm Sarah Fenske. St. Louis on the Air continues right after this. I'm Laura Hamden, producer for St. Louis on the Air. Before today's episode, I want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. Our team works hard to provide nuance on the news that shapes your life and your community. We wouldn't be able to do this without your support. The money you give to St. Louis Public Radio helps fund our podcast. Please go to stlpr.org slash donate and give an amount that works for you. Your contribution along with that of your neighbors is what fuels St. Louis on the Air. We're really grateful. Thank you for your support. Many states have rules on how long people can be held in jail before prosecutors must show probable cause to hold them. In Illinois, it's 30 days. In Iowa, it's 10. But in Missouri, the rules have been much more flexible. And in St. Louis City, that means defendants have been subject to much longer waits. The Public Defender's Office says the average wait for a preliminary hearing for detainees in the City Justice Center is 146 days. That's just to get a hearing and a chance to respond to the charges against them. The average total length of stay at the downtown jail has mushroomed to 344 days. The task force examining Justice Center conditions has called that a major factor in the recent riot there. Matthew Mahaffey is the district defender in St. Louis. He is the manager of the St. Louis City Trial Office of the Public Defender. And he says that if the city and the circuit attorney's office is serious about criminal justice reform, it needs to change how it handles these hearings. And he joins us today to share what it would take. So Matthew Mahaffey, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. So 146 days in jail without a hearing for probable cause seems like a long time. And, and I want to be clear on this. This isn't just because of COVID. How long were people waiting on average prior even to the pandemic? That's a great question. So we ran an internal audit of our cases, the public defender cases for both the calendar year 2020 and then calendar year 2019, which would have been pre-pandemic to have an idea of what the comparison would be. And the number you cited in your intro is correct regarding what we found for 2020, which was 146 day average for someone before a probable cause determination. And I think important to note, that also includes cases that were dismissed early in their life. So the length of stay for those that in, moved on to circuit court was undoubtedly longer. Hmm. Uh, for, for 2019, the data showed that it was an average for public defender cases of 126 days. So an increase of 20 for the 2020 year. But I think that shows that there was already quite a delay going on before COVID. Hmm. I know it, one example is you had a client who ended up waiting two years for one of these hearings. What kind of effect does that have on somebody if they don't get a preliminary hearing until 600 days have passed? Uh, it's a multifaceted answer, Sarah. Um, and you can imagine some of those just if you were if you imagine yourself being in that situation. Part of it becomes a frustration on the part of the individual to be able to address the accusations against them, which can lead in many instances to people 
um, taking a, an offer or a deal or a disposition that they otherwise would have fought because they are tired of being engaged in the system. Hmm. It also keeps people engaged or involved in the criminal legal system much longer while they're considered innocent until proven guilty, which has its own repercussions. If you think about applying for a job, um, CaseNet in Missouri allows you to see any pending case against someone. So that becomes a hindrance uh, as well does pretrial monitoring things such as, I know the task force recommended more electronic monitoring, but that is quite a burden on an individual to be on that for an extended period of time. Um, and I think those kind of things, it, 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 it keeps people from advancing in their lives in a way that is meaningful to them and I think in, to, to society. Hmm. And when it comes to these preliminary hearings, is this just something that's checking a box? You have to do the preliminary hearing, then you move on to the next step. Or sometimes do people, are, are they freed because there isn't enough evidence to hold them? We do have some success at the probable cause determination level with preliminary hearings in getting cases dismissed. It doesn't happen often. You've probably heard the old adage that you can indict a ham sandwich, which I think sometimes also applies to preliminary hearings. But it, it, the possibility is there that it could happen. And I think our clients deserve to have that possibility addressed as quickly as possible. So having these very long waits, talking about hundreds of days versus 30 days in Illinois, 10 days in Iowa, who is responsible for this problem? Where would you begin in answer to that question? I would begin with the associate courts. And the reason I would start there, Sarah, is because in my estimation, we all have different roles that we're playing within the criminal legal system. And the court's role is to enforce the rules. Uh, and as you, I know you know, because you've reported on it, the rule has changed 2209 in Missouri changed as is March 1st and now has specific dates attached before it just said a reasonable time. But the court could in its discretion and has the right, has the ability, um, according to case law in Missouri, to dismiss cases if they find that there has not been uh, efforts made to establish probable cause. So I think holding the state accountable for not bringing those is the court's role. And while I do think the, the circuit attorney's office has a role to play too, my first answer would be the associate courts. Okay, so these are the judges. Um, is this something where they don't understand how important it is to your office and to the defendants in this system to have these happening on a timely basis? That's a great question, and I don't want to answer for the judiciary there. Um, I do have concerns with how it's been approached because the suggestion to our clients and our attorneys has been that the interest is in making sure that cases get bound over, indictments are allowed to happen. I feel at times we are favoring convictions above due process, and I think uh, a willingness not to explore a stronger enforcement of the rules um, kind of creates that kind of narrative that our clients feel. Hmm. So the judges play a big role on this. In addition to this, I understand there's a big role that's played here in St. Louis by the circuit attorney's office. Uh, talk to me about what that looks like. Absolutely. So in Missouri, there are two ways that you can bring a criminal case to the courts. It's by complaint or indictment. In the city of St. Louis, uh, the circuit attorney has, and this predates Ms. Gardner's administration, has universally, almost universally, filed their, com their cases by complaint. And that triggers the Rule 2209, which says if it's filed by complaint, then we are entitled to a preliminary hearing within 30 days for a confined client and 60 days for a bond client. 
If they brought it by indictment, which is through the grand jury, then you would ideally bring it to the grand jury, secure what you can through indictment, and then issue your warrant or the, the charge at that time. So you're what basically the state, showing the probable cause to the grand jury if you go the indictment route? That's absolutely right. And the concern for our clients in terms of the procedural problem is that since all cases are filed by complaint, we should get a preliminary hearing. But the state many times will tell the court this case is scheduled for grand jury. Well, that is their right to take it to the grand jury. But once they file by complaint, we get our preliminary hearing. And the courts have, for a long time, granted continuances to the state based only on the presentation that this is a grand jury case, which ignores, I believe, our client's fundamental right to address the case in front of them. So this idea of bringing charges via complaint or going the grand jury route, I feel like in other jurisdictions where I've been a journalist, prosecutors choose one route. They might go a grand jury route. They might go with a complaint. I've never heard of a jurisdiction where they're doing both at once. Is this something unusual that they're doing in St. Louis City? I had that same question when I started diving into this. So I reached out to other district offenders in other offices in the state of Missouri and discovered that in some it is not the practice, but in others it is. Uh, the federal government does a good job of practicing this as it's supposed to be done. Um, so I do know, Sarah, that it is being practiced at other places in Missouri. I don't have statistics on that, but it's certainly it's being done here and is creating a problem in my estimation. So walk us through then what the practical impact of this is. If they're, they're charging people with they've got this complaint and then they're saying, hey, we're going to the grand jury. How does that affect the clock in those cases? So the clock starts immediately when that complaint is filed. Um, and the practical implica implications for our clients is that they are immediately involved in the criminal legal system, but they're being told they aren't able to address the complaint that's been filed via the route that the rules say they should, which is a preliminary hearing, because the state is going to seek the grand jury. Hmm. Uh, and again, I, I have the grand jury is an available option for the state, but by when you charge by complaint and then say we're going to go to the grand jury, it looks like what you're trying to do is involve people in the criminal legal system and then not give them a way to address that at the pre-trial, at the pre-probable cause stage. So it causes a lot of people to be incarcerated with no opportunity to address the case against them under the rules as it's written. We talked to St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner about the fact that we were going to be talking to you about this issue on our show, and we got a statement from them. Uh, they said the public defender has a normal adversarial posture against the circuit attorney's office. However, the circuit attorney's duty to fairness and justice extends beyond one perspective. The circuit attorney's office remains committed to working with all organizations concerned about issues of public safety and criminal justice reform that reduces pretrial incarceration footprint to address longstanding inefficiencies that exist. It sounds like they're saying they're interested in trying to clear up problems that would keep people in jail too long. Have they been willing to talk to you about your concerns about this practice? Not this specific practice. I will give a lot of credit to the existing administration there in their willingness to engage with our office in ways that, in my opinion, the previous administration did not with regards to release of individuals, um, crafting diversion options, which they have done and increased uh, quite a bit. But on this specific issue, 
we have not made any headway. Uh, I saw in the, the report from the task force that Mr. Hinckley stated that the grand jury was a way to protect complaining witnesses in cases. And that, again, is their prerogative to do. The suggestion I have is in that case, don't charge our clients by complaint first and then go that route. Hmm. We're talking today to Matthew Mahaffey. He's the district defender in St. Louis. Uh, that basically means that he's the manager of the St. Louis City Trial Office for the public defender here. Uh, Matthew, I think it is worth mentioning that the state average wait for a preliminary hearing is 139 days. Gardner's office seems like they're kind of right in line with that. They're a little bit higher, but you know, not too far off. Why is this such a big issue in St. Louis in light of that? I think the fact that the average for the state of Missouri, and I will, the slight correction, and this might be my problem with the report, 139 average was for the the St. Louis city, 141 is the state average. Um, It's a problem that that is our state's average. I think as you rightfully mentioned in the introduction, other states have rules in place. I'm from Iowa and I have my family practices law in Iowa. And I had a conversation with them recently and found out that the 10 day rule is almost universally uh, adhered to. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think that's important to note is because if a prosecutor has information that they feel warrants a charge against an individual, they should have information needed to establish probable cause or attempt to, because it's not a hearing that is moving us towards a burden that is beyond a reasonable doubt. It is a probable cause determination. It should not take that long to determine. And if we are really interested in getting people out of the criminal legal system as quickly as possible, if they have to be engaged, that is a place in Missouri where we could address that. So as you mentioned earlier in our conversation, the Missouri Supreme Court seems to be trying to address this. They amended their rule regarding these hearings, um, and this amendment went into effect on on March 1st. And it basically says that the state needs to act within 30 days if the defendant is in jail, uh, within 60 days if the defendant is not in jail. Will this address the problem? The optimistic side of me hopes so. And I think we will find out when the summer comes and we've had quite a few cases that have been issued since March 1st. But the rule should apply to cases issued before that. My concern is that if the end around grand jury argument that has been made is allowed to continue to be made, that a judge could say that that is good cause, which the rule allows continuance for good cause. Mm. But I had stated to me in associate court the other day by one of the judicial officers that if they say it's good cause, then it's good cause. So if we're not going to make good cause something that is tied to having a preliminary hearing and there being an, an exception, what we're, but we're going to make it a rule instead, and or the assumption is that good cause, if the state asks for it, is going to be granted, we're, we're not going to improve this at all. So if the circuit attorney's office continues their current practice of doing both complaint and then going for the grand jury indictment and judges continue to sort of give them the benefit of the doubt, you don't see this solving the problem. Correct. So what That's would, accurately stated. What would solve the problem? Enforcing the rules as they're written. Hmm. Uh, if, a, if a case is filed by complaint, we, our clients, get a preliminary hearing within 30 days if they're confined and 60 days if they're on bond. We have, as, as Judge Stelzer accurately put in his report, the preliminary hearing has been available to the courts 
since June. We had about a three month period at the very beginning of COVID where it wasn't, but since then it's been available. So it's there, we have the technology to make it happen if, if, thing, if people have to be remote. Um, it is not a complicated process. They are not long hearings. I think that if we start enforcing the rules and holding them accountable for filing by complaint, we could get this moving. Hmm. So a different issue, but also a related issue. Uh, The Corrections Task Force, it issued its report last week looking at conditions at the City Justice Center that has led to multiple instances of of unrest there. And in addition to this issue um, involving just how long people are waiting for preliminary hearings, you also suggested in your testimony to this committee that the Circuit Attorney's Office could make a big difference by presenting pretrial recommendations, quote, on a timely and early basis. Uh, What do you mean by that? So in other jurisdictions, the when a case is issued, shortly thereafter, the prosecuting attorney will give the defense counsel and a, a recommendation, and it may be a preliminary recommendation, but it's a recommendation for how they view this case and how it should be disposed. So let's take, for example, they say, I believe this case should have three years of probation with a five-year prison sentence as a backup. Well, then you have a starting point for discussion with your client, not because you think that they should take it, but your client is be giving more information with regards to what the circuit attorney is saying they think this case is worth, and maybe you have a starting point for negotiations. We don't get those early on. Hmm. So our clients are left in a situation where their, their options, which are trial or plea, and usually plea, Sarah, would be you either are open pleading to a judge or you're taking the wreck. One of those pieces is taken from them and not given for a while. Well, that's a stressful situation for a client. And it's also a stressful situation for a defense attorney because they're they're flying blind a little bit without that information. It is useful information if we're serious about moving cases forward as efficiently and I think as compassionately as possible. How unusual is it that the city isn't doing that as quickly as you feel like would be useful to your, your clients? Unfortunately, I've only practiced in the city. I guess for me, I feel that's fortunate, but I don't have a good barometer of other jurisdictions other than anecdotal conversations with individuals, but it seems to be common practice in other places. Uh, and I, part of me is puzzled as to why we can't get those quicker because they they are not, I guess, and I haven't been a prosecutor, Sarah, so I want to be fair, but mm-hmm. they don't seem like they would be complicated to provide. And and just to clarify your answer there, you're saying this does happen more quickly in other jurisdictions, is your impression? Yes, yes. And I do know that in, I know in Jefferson County, which we've had a handful of cases there, and I've talked to the district defender there, they get those recommendations very quickly after charges are issued. Hmm. I think it's fair to say that St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner has made a national name as a criminal justice reformer. You're there in the trenches slugging it out with her office on occasion. As as she says, there is a a normal adversarial role there. And yet you've got some concerns about things that aren't just case by case. These are bigger picture concerns. Do you think she needs to be taking these things seriously if she wants to reform the criminal justice system? Yes, I do very much. And I saw the recent uh, 60 Minutes with Miss Gardner, and I-, I loved a couple quotes she said where she said, don't kiss the ring of the status quo, and the system needs to be dismantled and rebuilt. I, I agree 100% with her, and some of the work that she has been willing to engage me in has has reaped benefits towards those goals. I think that we overlook the procedural and legal pieces that could help because they aren't quite as 
media friendly sometimes, both from a public defender and a prosecutor standpoint, but we can make real progress through the rules. And that I think is the next place we have got to start going in Missouri, because right now, in my opinion, Missouri is a place where due process goes to die for clients. Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a pretty dramatic way of saying that. But I mean, you've got some real concerns here. You said you've tried to talk to the circuit attorney's office about this. You haven't been able to make any headway on these particular issues. Do you hope that by talking about this here on the radio and, and putting this in such dire terms that this will make your phone ring, that they're going to want to work through this issue? Uh, I, I mean, I have found their office to be very communicative and very responsive and very open to conversation. Obviously, we are going to agree on many things, and it is an adversarial system. I thought the, the the statement given by their office was accurate, but I also think it didn't state that I was wrong in our concerns here. If you're talking at close to five months, Sarah, in pretrial detention many times without a probable cause finding, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's inappropriate to say that due process is just being forgotten at that point. Um, and if we can improve that, we we owe it to our clients and our population to do so because it costs money, it is costing social capital, and it is costing the mental health of both professionals and people involved in the system. Well, Matthew Mahaffey, I want to thank you for joining us today and and walking us through um, these issues. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me. Matthew Mahaffey is the District Defender in St. Louis for the Missouri State Public Defender. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. More reporting from the St. Louis on the Air team is available at stlpublicradio.org. And be sure never to miss a conversation by subscribing to our podcast. You can find St. Louis on the Air on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts on the App Store. St. Louis on the Air is produced by Evie Hemphill, Lara Hamden, Emily Woodbury, and Alex Hoyer. The audio engineer is Aaron Dorr. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Sarah Fenske. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.